I think this is the uh, tenth time that I've preached from Luke chapter 2 on this evening for the Church of the Incarnation, which some years is, makes it a struggle, and some years it's quite surprising. And this year, um, it's been a wonderful thing for me. Here's what I've recognized. I've recognized that there are a lot of us in our church and in our community who've had a very unlucky year. Um, and we don't talk about that, that very much as Christians because at the end of the day, we, as Christians, we don't really believe in luck. But I wonder if you felt one way or another during these past 10 months, just at the end of the day, unlucky. Maybe you're a teenager and you had the incredible bad luck of being a senior in the 2019-2020 academic year. Mm -hmm. And you had the bad luck that your final semester of school, there was no prom and no senior skip day and no normal graduation, and then the bad luck of trying to either start college or get a job or whatever uh, in the middle of a pandemic. I think about Sam and Gina. I mean, it must feel incredibly unlucky to suddenly go into the hospital and be told you're going to be here for two months, and it's at a moment when your kids can't come and visit you. And so what that must feel like to... Normally, being pregnant is this wonderful, joyful thing, and suddenly your pregnancy means you can't be around your children at Christmas. And then there are those of us who have lost loved ones or are losing loved ones, and here we are at Christmas, and an empty space at the dinner table, or at the gift opening time, or an empty stocking on the mantle. And when it comes to death, Christmas holds its own kind of anguish. And maybe you're one of the unlucky ones who are not happy about tomorrow. And tomorrow feels sorrowful. And it will take everything you have just to get through it. And you really just want to get to January so we can be done with this time of the year. Or, or maybe you've had the bad luck of not having anyone to share the holidays with. Or maybe the person you most want to share it with, for some reason you can't share it with them. Here's what I want you to notice. If you've recently had a run of bad luck, it gives you a way of connecting to the story we just read that other people who haven't had bad luck can't connect to it. Let me show you what I mean. I mean, we're going to focus on Luke chapter 2. For example, take Mary and Joseph and think about their streak of bad luck. If it wasn't already bad enough that Mary was an unwed teenage mother, in Luke chapter 2, she has to travel to Nazareth because some Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, has issued a decree in, in verse 1 that everybody has to be counted. And so in verse 3, it says, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And among them was Joseph. She just happened to get engaged to a dude 
who is not from the town they live in. So she has to travel with this guy. And we presume that for Joseph, this is bad luck because he has to leave the town where he's got a job. And he make, they make this long journey south to Judea to the city of David because it says in verse 4, he was of the house and lineage of David. And Mary goes along with him, his unlucky fiance, who's in her third trimester and probably on doctor's orders to not ride camels or donkeys or go on long walks through the Judean hillside. And so she has to travel a week's journey in this delicate moment of her life right at the time when her babies do. And then after they arrive in Bethlehem, their streak of bad luck just keeps going because a whole bunch of people left Bethlehem. Apparently, Bethlehem was one of those places where it's better to be from than to actually live in. So all of these people have left it. They have to all go back to be counted, and there's nowhere for them to find shelter. But the only place they can find shelter is a cave below a house where sheep sleep in the evenings, and there's a bunch of other distant relatives all crowded into this cave, and her streak of bad luck continues. That's where she happens to give birth, and she wraps Jesus in a cloth and lays him in the least kingly bed imaginable, a feeding trough. Now, don't think about a cute little wooden box with hay that would actually be comfortable. No, this was much more likely a hard stone shelf cut out of the wall of the cave. What awful luck. But there's something here we shouldn't miss. God was at work behind the scenes, mysteriously, in the darkness. Remember, this place where Jesus was born was Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And that is precisely where the heir to the throne of David should have been born. And what's especially surprising and wonderful about this is that it was the Roman emperor who made it happen, who demanded it. Over 2,500 miles away, the pagan emperor of Rome had the audacity to assert himself as Israel's new God, and his unjust policies required the Holy Family to journey to Bethlehem, and there in the city of David, the righteous king of Israel and of all the nations was born. So get this. After countless generations of this city losing its generations and losing its inhabitants, after countless generations had suffered displacement from Bethlehem, suddenly David's heir came home. It might have felt like bad luck to Mary and Joseph, but in the darkness, God was at work. And even though Caesar issued the decree, God was still running the show in order that every detail of his redemption of the world would occur according to plan. Now, if you've lived a life of bad luck, you should be able to connect up with, Moses, with Mary and Joseph. Now, what about these shepherds? Well, to begin with, they had the bad luck of having a really bad job. Nobody wanted to be shepherds. They, shepherds were only cute in paintings. But in real life, they stank. Their work was very hard, and it paid very little, and it was considered the worst job in the community. 
If you could do anything else, you would do it. And these particular shepherds didn't only have the bad luck of being shepherds, they drew the short straw of working the night shift. They weren't even like halfway up the shepherd chain. They were the bottom of the bottom. After all, most shepherds took their flocks home at night where the sheep could be kept safe and the shepherds could sleep in their own beds. But for some unlucky reason, these dudes didn't even get to do that. They're in the field at night. They had drawn the short straw. They had to work the night shift on Christmas Eve. Then verse 9 says that an angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, on that night, there were shepherds around that area who had also drawn the short straw, who were also working the night shift. And not every shepherd around the world that night saw angels on that evening, nor heard this good news. It was these shepherds' good fortune to be in just the right place at just the right time. And suddenly, verse 13 tells us, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on peace and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, here's the deal. If you've ever seen a painting of this scene, it, it, it normally... Um, has this idea that these shepherds are there and there's this big choir uh, singing in the heaven. But that phrase, heavenly host, that means heaven's army. It wasn't a cute little set of pudgy angels that showed up. That phrase, heavenly host, means the army of heaven, the army of God. So what we should be imagining in this scene is a military parade that accompanies the enthronement of a king, the return of a king. And if you do that, you get a sense of what the army of the Lord was doing that night. In other words, when that first angel appeared, he was the runner in front of a massive army who came around the corner on these shepherds and told them, there is an army about to round the corner. There is an army of God that is about to show up here. And these shepherds, before they even had a chance to comprehend what he was saying, this multitude of angels comes marching over the hills, headed to Bethlehem to attend to the arrival of their commander, the rightful emperor over all the world, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, King. And then the shepherds, they had a choice to make. Perhaps they weren't so unlucky after all. Maybe God did care about them. Maybe he had put them in just the right place at just the right time. The angel had told them that all they had to do was go to Bethlehem and look for a baby wrapped in a cloth and lying in a feeding trough. But think about it. Bethlehem was crowded. They were busy. 
They had shepherd work to do. And who knows how many babies are born? And who knows how these women are going to treat us? when the bottom of the barrel comes barging in, looking for the baby. And maybe the whole thing was just a bad trip after eating too many mushrooms earlier tonight. And maybe they shouldn't risk it, and it could turn out to be just one more piece of bad luck after all. But pay close attention to what they said to one another. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. The shepherds said to each other, let's go have a look at this thing, that the Lord has made known to us. In other words, they took a leap of faith. That's what that was. It was a leap of faith. These guys were just like us. That was just as confusing. And just as like, for real? It was a leap of faith to believe that God had been working behind the scenes To arrange things. Because when you're in a streak of bad luck, it's hard to imagine God there at work. It was a leap of faith that the words of the messenger were in fact the words of the Lord. So taking this leap of faith in verse 16, they went to Bethlehem. And sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Scripture says they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger right where he was supposed to be. How about that? Third and final. I think if you've got bad luck, you can relate to um, Mary and Joseph, to these shepherds. I think you can also connect up to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, after all, was the rightful heir to the throne of David, but he ended up being born in a cave, wrapped up in a cloth, laid on a shelf, carved out of the wall. And then after the Magi visited... He and his family had to flee for their lives. And they became refugees on the run, sneaking across borders. And eventually, we know that Jesus got to return. But he didn't even get to return to Bethlehem. He got to return to Nazareth for a season. Most of what we read of Jesus in the Gospels describe him as constantly on the move. A guy who never really fit in. Didn't ever really have a home. In fact, he says at one point about himself, the son of man has no place to lay his head. That that is what we would call a streak of bad luck. And yet eventually, he does come to rest. And it's in an all too familiar place. After his crucifixion, he's taken down into a cave, wrapped in a cloth, laid on a shelf, carved out of a stone wall. If anyone has ever had a run of bad luck from birth to death, it was Jesus. He had every right to live the good life. He was the righteous son of God. But instead, he chose to endure every hardship for us so that we could be saved from sadness and sin and death. And yet throughout the entire Gospel of Luke, there is this sense that all of this random crap that he goes through, all of this random evil and suffering, that despite all of it, God was there in the silence, working in the darkness. For example, 
what seemed to be bad luck with that whole census thing, which resulted in the displacement of Joseph and Mary at the worst possible time, actually ends up placing Jesus right where he belonged on Christmas. And because of their unlucky displacement, good fortune comes to those unlucky shepherds working the night shift. And even Jesus' very bad luck of being murdered instead of being enthroned as king turns out for our good. Didn't Isaiah say that it would happen this way and that by his stripes we would be healed? So I'll wrap it up with this. What about you? What bad luck have you had this year? What has not turned out the way you planned? Are you willing to consider that God is at work in this story and in your story and that he isn't finished with you yet and that God knows where you are and he cares? And just as the shepherds were invited to come and see Jesus and discover that he was, in fact, everything he had promised, I invite you and me, I invite us to do the same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely am not saying that somehow this will take away your grief. It will not. We can get through grief. But you do not get through grief by turning grief into happiness. Grief has to be grief. And moments of happiness break in on their own. Going through grief does not mean make yourself happy. But what we can see here when we listen carefully for God's address in this story is that there is more to your story if you are willing to come to Jesus and trust God with the ending. There is more grace in Christmas than nostalgia. And it can be that the light of Christmas, which is the light of Christ, shines brightest for those who have experienced the darkest of nights. On Easter, Jesus rose from the grave. Death could not hold him, nor could he remain wrapped in those swaddling clothes. Jesus has forever deprived death of its sting. And because of the world-shattering event of God become flesh, we can have hope for the coming days that there will be, like we read, no more death, nor crying nor mourning, nor pain. And everyone who follows the shepherds and takes the leap of faith toward Jesus, everyone who does that, will, you will give, you will find out that he will give you the good fortune of the resurrection life and an eternal place in his kingdom. Let's pray.